Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about strategies to fill a tag in the last days of gun season when it feels hopeless. When you look at the success rates for general gun seasons across the board, when deer are killed during these general gun seasons, the bulk of the filled tags happen in the first two days. After that, success rates just drop like a rock. In some states, that's something like 80% of the deer killed are killed in the first two days of the season. That is some serious front loading, my friends. But that doesn't mean you don't have a chance as the gun season drags on. You do. You're just going to have to figure out how to hunt like others won't hunt. Any deer hunter, regardless of chosen weapon, except for maybe muzzleloader, is probably feeling the heat right about now. Last week, I broke down a bow hunt with a gun strategy to kill more deer in pressured states. But in a lot of areas, a single week of gun coverage doesn't cut it. You know, some states like Iowa have shorter gun seasons, of course, but others like New York have weeks of rifle hunting. But even a long gun season tends to convince the majority of rifle hunters that they should sit the same stands and do the same drives they've done since grandpa bought the land right after he made it home from Europe or the Pacific Theater in the 40s. And as I said last week, in about, I don't know, 17 other weeks so far with this podcast, you don't want to do what others do. You don't want to hunt the way others hunt, because that nets you typical success rates, which are not that great. You want to be different. And hopefully, you're hunting thicker cover and giving up the range of your rifle to sit where the bucks are right now. But what if that's not working? After all, if all hunting advice worked for everyone... I wouldn't have to give it anymore. And I'd be laying sod somewhere asking you guys if you want any sauces with your chicken nuggets. If you've got a tag left, I don't care if it's a buck or a doe tag. This is low standards, fourth quarter stuff here. And you got to figure out what should you do to get around deer. The times that I've been in this situation, I've almost always defaulted right back to my public land roots. Now this goes for when I'm hunting public land, of course, 
but also even if I'm on private land. And what I mean by that is the deer that have survived the gun season so far are totally clued into what's going on. There's no wondering on their part. They're not thinking, I wonder if the gun season is really going on right now. They absolutely, without doubt, know. They know it's going on and they react accordingly. But they are also in tune to the entirety of the season and more importantly, the day-to-day fluctuations in pressure. Now just think, for example, about like a three-year-old buck that has his gun season hideouts. He knows he's going to get into them before first light and he's going to lay up in a couple acres until total darkness. You can try to drive him out, but unless you're going to step on him or you really lock eyes with him, he's probably not going to blow out like some dumb panicky cottontail. He also probably doesn't stay bedded all day long in that cover. He probably stands up and repositions himself if the sun or the wind changes. Or he just wants to browse a little bit and get some calories in his belly. Hell, he might walk to the edge of the security cover to poke his nose out and sniff for late cycling ladies. After all, he wants to survive, but those biological urges are strong ones, and he's not above trying to sneak in a last run at any does that might be willing to give him a shot. The odds of him doing that or any of this stuff, which all offers you a chance, go way up when he thinks there are fewer deer hunters in the woods. And Actually, I should put that a different way. Bucks probably aren't out there counting the amount of ATVs they hear puttering into the woods each morning. They're probably just aware of pressure levels, saturation. They probably just know that today seems more relaxed than yesterday and that there have been fewer reasons for their stress levels to rise. Think about it this way. Out there somewhere, probably up in Alaska, there's some unlucky dude who probably has to buy new underwear frequently because he's been charged by three grizzlies in one day. Now, even bluff charges that come up short leave a mental mark. That guy probably really appreciates every day he spends in the woods where grizzlies don't make ground-slapping, snarly threats at him, although he probably never lets his guard down too much. He probably just knows that today was more fun than that one day where it was like he was a bear magnet. Even though he is always on the lookout for a patch of blonde fur in the brush, he probably isn't as keyed up as he was that one day. Deer are probably kind of like that guy on the days when the gun pressure is lower than usual. That's important because you want to be there when the bucks think you aren't, when they're relaxed. This goes for all members of the deer herd, honestly, and can be fairly pronounced later in the gun season. This is all due to the fact that there are usually fewer people out and the effort is not quite as pronounced as opening weekend. Most hunters just don't have the mindset to keep going. I've had a couple experiences that have absolutely hammered this through my skull. The first was when I had a muzzleloader tag in Minnesota probably a decade ago. In the part of the state I was hunting, the first two days of muzzleloader season overlapped with the last two days of the general firearm season. Now, normally, I would have just waited until Monday to hunt when the gun season was over and it was just muzzleloader season. But I had a tag, had an evening free, and so I just decided to drive out to a farm I've got permission to hunt. Now, this dairy farm is usually covered in hunters but there weren't any trucks parked in the ditches or in the fields where I wanted to hunt. Now keep in mind, this is a property where the landowner's party, just one party on the ground, shot nine bucks on opening day one year. It gets piss pounded by multiple shotgun groups. But that evening, deep into the gun season, it was mostly empty. Now there were some trucks parked on the bordering properties, but I didn't think that would do anything to hurt my already low odds. What I didn't expect to see as I was driving toward my usual parking spot for that part of the farm was what looked like a deer standing in the picked bean field in the farthest corner of the farm. 
I was headed there anyway, but that gave me a little extra incentive to not phone it in. When I got to the highest spot that would allow me to see to that corner and eventually shoot it, I started to crawl along the edge of the wet field so I could keep my profile low. That's when I realized that there were actually four fawns in a little nursery herd feeding right there, and they were all headed my way. Those youngsters, not exactly the Mensa members of the whitetail herd, fed past at 10 yards while I got cold and wet trying not to move in that late November mud. Now, as soon as they were far enough below me, I crawled into the edge of the woods and posted up on an oak tree that I had picked out. It felt like a good omen to have deer moving in the open then, and it turned out to be true. The next deer to poke his head out was an eight-pointer that was about 65 inches bigger than I would have needed, and I ended up killing him right there when I probably shouldn't have. I honestly think that the shotgun parties on that farm had wore themselves out early, and the deer knew it. I can't think of any other reason for that buck to be out in the wide open that late in gun season. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have made that mistake, but he did. And I was able to capitalize on it because I was out there hunting when a lot of people had already given up. Now, fast forward five or six years to a northern Wisconsin hunt on a property where the landowner, his dad, and his brother had hunted all opening weekend. Now, this is not a very big property, so they had covered it pretty good, and they had all blanked. And he told me that the hunting was a lost cause. The deer movement, even in the heart of their tamarack swamp, was non-existent, he said. So when we showed up, the place had had a few days to rest. I thought maybe something might be back to normal. So I ended up slipping into a stand that was on the edge of a field corner, but that wasn't what I was hunting. I didn't expect any deer to be in the field. I was facing into the swamp in the direction of a high ground island that is always rubbed up every time I go in there the winter to scout it. I didn't want to go super deer hunter on my first evening. I wanted to play it safe. So I stayed back on that edge where I could watch 100 yards or so of the thick stuff, and I figured maybe get clued into something. As the sun settled on the horizon, I just randomly turned around to look into the little field behind me and realized that I'd been staring in the wrong direction. A big old doe was feeding back there, and it was almost unfair to shoot her at like 50 yards with a rifle. But I did it anyway because I'm a hunter, and I really like to eat deer. Now, if you're keeping score, there's a couple of noteworthy things about those two kills I just talked about. The first is that they came about after other hunters had mostly waved the white flag and left the woods and created a scenario I could work with. The second is that they totally contradicted last week's advice of getting into rabbit cover and staying there, considering I killed both of those deer in the wide open. Here's the thing. The deer are where they are. I know that's not that great of a revelation, but it's true. Sometimes they are in the cover. Sometimes they are in the open. And what you can do is gauge the day-to-day hunting pressure and hunt accordingly. This means that a Saturday evening hunt at the beginning of gun season, for example, might truly demand a bow-style hunt where your farthest shot is 40 yards. But a Wednesday morning hunt, when most of the gun crowd is back at work for the week, might allow you to sit one of those wide-open view stands and make something happen at a longer range. Ditto for that November rain that makes it hard to hold a candle in. That's for you hairband lovers out there. Versus the perfect 20-degree still day. In fact, a good rule to follow when hunting with a lot of pressure around, and you'll have a lot of pressure if you're in a general gun season on most properties, is to do the exact opposite of what a lot of TV hunters say you should do. Perfect deer weather does not override boatloads of hunting pressure. So try to time your hunts for when others won't or don't think they should go, even if they have the chance. 
But mainly what I'm saying here, just go. If you spend enough time hunting, you'll see that your success is not guaranteed to come on any day, but could also come on any day. I know opening day is fun and the 13th day of the gun season is a freaking drag, but there are still a lot of whitetails out there after the gun season has burned its way through the countryside and it's still giving off a little smoke. You just don't want to do what others do when others do it. You got to let the tendencies of the masses work in your favor instead of just playing along with them and sitting the same old stand, getting more and more frustrated as you watch human pumpkins on the neighbor's farm do the same deer drive they've done every day for 10 days straight. Don't dig into your bag of tricks now. I know you feel desperate. I know you want to, but this is not the time for a full body decoy or three gallons of deer pee in the woods. It's not the time for a knock your socks off rattling session. This is the time for stealth mode, ninja mode, and super quiet hunter guy or gal mode all rolled into one with a side order of kitten mittens just to shore things up. You don't want to draw attention to yourself now. That's all I'm saying. You want whatever deer you're hunting to believe he or she has the all clear to go where they want to go and do what they want to do. You don't want to give them the slightest amount of suspicion because this isn't September 18th. They aren't dull from nine months of basically human hunter-free life. They are in the trenches and the shit has been blowing up all around them for a long time and it's really intensified lately. Think about it like hunting public land turkeys with a bow in the late season. That's a real challenge. If you've got a gobbler coming in, he'll probably do it silently. He's probably not going to gobble his head off and give away his position. He's also probably going to stop at 50 yards and stare at your blind. He's going to take in your decoys, and he's going to really watch the whole thing before he commits. If at this point, or any point after he starts to close in, you make even a tiny little mistake, it's probably over. One nearly imperceptible tink of your arrow on the blind pole, a squeak of your blind chair, or just a flash of movement as you dip down to look through the window. Doesn't matter. His tolerance for mistakes at that time of the season is zero. Now, he might not sprint away or fly away, but you will hear some putting, and you'll watch as he gives you a wide berth or turns around and fades away into the brush, beady eyes looking back in your direction to see just what not-so-sneaky asshole tried to trick him into range. Whitetails that have dodged arrows and now rifle bullets or shotgun slugs for days or weeks they have the same low tolerance for mistakes. This goes for walking into, getting out of your stands. This goes for playing the wind. This goes for the amount of noise you make, movement on stand, anything that might reveal your presence to them. I tend to treat these hunts like my only job is to be as non-existent as possible. I don't even carry calls. I don't want to draw attention to myself. And I sit longer in the morning and go back out earlier in the afternoon than I think I have to even though it seems like most of the movement is going to be tied to those low-light situations, which it is, you just never know. And there's another benefit to that. So while you might not think that like an all-day sit is the right idea, and it's really not that appealing this time of year, there are a couple of things to think about as far as sitting longer. The first one is while the rut in much of the country is mostly over, there's always a chance for a late-cycling doe to, to stir things up. And secondly... The days are short. You don't have that many hours of daylight to work with. And since you're going hunting anyway, just go hunting. Spend as much time in the woods as you can handle. And that'll put you there when others aren't there. Now, I'm not going to lie and say that I ever expect to see midday movement right now. 
but sometimes I do. And more importantly, I feel like this strategy reduces the chances of spooking one going in or coming out at the wrong time because it allows the woods a chance to settle down. This is no small thing when all the leaves are down. You might be dealing with a layer of crunchy snow. You often have relatively calm wind conditions. If you can hear a deer walking 100 yards away, they can hear you walking from a lot farther than that. That means it's best to get in and stay put so that those alarm bells you set off sneaking in have a chance to fade away and hopefully be forgotten. So keep hunting, my friends. Go where the conditions tell you to go and hunt like you're a ghost. Keep at it when the rest of your party has given up because there's still a chance to fill a rifle tag when the odds seem really low. And whether that happens or you strike out, you're going to want to listen to the next week's episode of Foundations because I'm going to tell you how to never have a boring gun season again. Because even though your 270 is oiled up and put away now, the best work a gun hunter can do will be the work that happens the week after the season ends. That's it for this week, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. Be sure to visit themeateater.com slash wired to check out all of our whitetail content, which includes articles, other podcasts, and a whole slew of how-to videos that are also up on our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.